The Rosillo Show is brought to you this week by JCPenney. Guys, at JCPenney, you can find all the great looks. Whether you're in the office or on the go, raise your game with Collection by Michael Strahan. Or relax and look good on the weekend with MSX by Michael Strahan. Exclusively at JCPenney. JCPenney, style and value for all. Well, we have a lot to break down here, and we're not just talking about the Phoenix Suns firing Ryan McDonough. It happened today. You can say what you want about Ryan McDonough's run there, and I understand the frustration and people saying, hey, it didn't work out, and that's all accurate. Uh, but to do it a week before the season start, reeks of Robert Sarver's odd ownership run while in Phoenix. Maybe we'll do that a little bit later. I do have some NFL stuff that I want to do with Saruti. Shout out to Saruti single one more week. Cold feet at all? No, dude. Friday, let's get it. I know. You do. You do want to get married. Um, I think I've only yeah. had like one friend that's like, I don't think I want to do this. And I mean, I wouldn't say like, I was oh in a rush God. to get married. It just, Ooh, you know, it's, I, it's, you just know when you know. Yeah. I, um, I've been to so many weddings and, and I got to tell you, I feel bad having this feeling, but like I just look around and I would have a date with me and I go, nope, I don't feel this. <laughs> I, hey, at least I you're feel, honest. Like, don't, don't lie. I feel nothing. Like, no, I lied to myself about it a little bit, yeah. but I knew kind of deep down when it was a little alone time with the rye guy. And, you know, I was pretty close to getting married. Well, one was a, just a Hail Mary stupid idea. Um, but there was a second time where I was probably pretty close to it. Like, I was, you know, saving up for the ring. The ring was ready to go. And, uh, that one was far more serious. But I, you know, now removed from it, I know why it didn't happen because I was going to other people's weddings and I was just like, nope. Not really feeling this. I couldn't even imagine you like standing up there in front of a bunch of people, like professing your love to someone. Like that is the least Ryan Rosillo thing. Not that you're capable of feeling that, but I just could never imagine that happening. Yeah, and I'm not doing that because there. I, I don't. I don't have that going on because I'm trying to be cool or anything. I just. I don't know, man. It's really weird. It's weird now as I've gotten a little bit older. Like, wait a minute, is this really what you're going to end up doing? Like, you're just going to do this? Like, everybody's going to think that. I don't know. You stay in shape. Moved out to LA. There are going to be rumors. Not that there'd be anything wrong with that. Uh, Thirty, dude. Don't worry about it. No, I'm not. But to be single at 35 was kind of funny when everybody was married and having kids at 45 in a couple years. That will um, that will be different. But I'm not really. Yeah, I don't know, man. I have like a different. Like lonely doesn't. I don't. You know, lonely's like negative. I just say solo. You know, it's like a solo radio show. Are you lonely? No, I'm just doing the show by myself. Yeah, like solo trip to Greece. What's up? Do it. Solo yeah, trip those those are getting the solo trips are are bad ideas. I'm just going to go ahead and say that because it <laughs> it's just you know probably the problem is they'll always be afraid to go with somebody to something and then they're like, oh my gosh, we went to the Amalfi Coast together. He's serious. Be like, is he? He's watching a ton. Ton of late Pac-12 games. Yeah, it's odd. He knows a weird amount about the Phoenix Suns front office situation. <laughs> yeah, he's he's not. All right, so this is weird. It's got off to a weird start. I didn't expect to do any of this stuff, but I do want to talk a little McGregor. We're gonna have John Anik, who called UFC two two nine with Nur Gamedov. That's Khabib against McGregor. And I think the most important thing that gets lost in all this, and it's getting lost for good reason, because we had an absolute brawl, a mayhem brawl, okay, after the fact. Um, but the reason why it, I just, look, 
Habib deserves all the credit in the world. He was incredible. He was dominant. I thought he was going to win, even if I didn't want to admit it a little bit, because I like the Connor story. I like that Connor is somebody that is always willing to back up his talk as far as, hey, I'm a fighter and I want to do this. I'm not going to duck anybody. I actually think it's almost insane with the weird timeline of things that he had to do with the Diaz stuff before that, the jumping from weight classes, then to study boxing and fight almost, what was it, 13 months ago, because he fought right at the end of August against Mayweather, and then it's like, okay, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to go ahead and, and headline this event in Vegas, and I'm going to go up against a guy who's 26-0, and 0. and Habib, for those that don't know, because normally, look, we're doing football, we got basketball here in a week, you know where the majority of this podcast is going to be, but I love the UFC, I love this stuff. I mean, going back to college and ordering the first one when the guys used to have to fight multiple fights and it was a real tournament, and we're like, what is this? We're like, this is awesome, order it. Um you know, Annick's probably going to make fun of me for hitting the old tie pads when I was a little bit younger. And, you know, you got to understand it was a 16-year-old Rosillo, moved to a new town, had a real hard time with a high school adjustment, skinny as hell, went to this local gym all the time because I didn't really have anything to do. I didn't fill out until I was like 26 or 27 anyway. Cue the steroid accusations. But I honestly like... I would watch these older guys. Like all I could do was try pull downs and leg presses because they were de- like it was an okay amount of weight, which is what everybody can do. You're like, oh sweet, I'm putting on two forty fives and leg press the hell out of this. And you know, you just do that because you're insecure and you're a little kid. And even so, for me to to be that skinny, um, you know, it just bothered me. So then I saw all these old guys fighting all the time, and I had mentioned uh, this guy Dean on. In passing on on the Bill Simmons podcast, he was this guy, Dean. He was probably in his 40s, although at the time, like, you never know because you're only 16. So if I think back now, I'm like, oh, my God, that's, what are we talking, 27 years ago? So would he be almost 70 now? Oh, my God, like, is he dead? So he was this really good-looking, well-built Scandinavian guy, Denmark maybe, Copenhagen, I'm not sure. And he was just, he, he reeked, like, we make musk jokes, but he just had this, like, thing. And every girl in the health club, loved him, okay? And it's Martha's Vineyard, and a lot of the trainers were smoke shows before we even knew what that term was. And there were all these guys that would fight with each other all the time. And I was like, man, I'd love to try to learn how to do that. Like, I'm scrawny. I'd get my, you know what, handed to me if anything ever happened to me. So I was like, hey, Dean, will you let me Will you let me try, you know, and, and do some of this Muay Thai stuff with you guys? And then I didn't even know what it was. He's like, oh, it's Muay Thai, whatever. So... I could barely hold the tie pads up. It was brutal for me, um, but I I loved it. It gave me a little confidence. You, know, you learned some kicks, and again, it didn't mean anything. I still would have gotten mopped by anyone. They would have laughed if you like dropped back and had your hands and fingers extended and started like throwing front kicks at 140 pounds. No one cares. But it was something that I could do. And the older guys at first apprehensive, like, oh, this this bean pole is gonna, you know, spar with us? Are you kidding? And I would just go in and kind of get. You know, tossed around a bit, but I liked it. I liked it. It was something that made me feel better about myself, which I think is really important, especially when you're young. And then there was this other instructor who was like, hey, you know, you're doing all right with that stuff. You should try Savat, which is a French kick style, uh, kickboxing style. And I got really nervous because I love Dean. I, I just thought Dean was the coolest. So I was like, Dean. And it was like I was having to break up with somebody. I go, Dean, one of the other guys, you know, he's teaching Savat. He, he wanted to see if I'd come to the class. I just want to check with you to see if it was okay. And he's like, yeah, Ryan, I don't care. Go ahead. I was like, you're not mad? He's like, no. I go, okay, this is the other thing, though. I'm worried that if I take Savat, because the kicks are different, um, if I, if I start doing that, it's going to mess up my, my, my tie and the knees and the elbows. 
And he's like, it isn't, dude. You're going to be like, relax, bro. You're going to be fine. And uh, I'll never forget this line that he said. And maybe this is why I'm still single. But he said, uh, he goes, fighting is a lot like sex. And I was like, huh? Because I'm not doing much either. Whoa. Yeah. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, if you master Muay Thai, that would be great. He goes, but you'll be better at Muay Thai by learning other styles as well. He goes, it's just like women. He goes, you could have one, but you're going to be better at it if you have more than one. And I was like, wow, man, Dean's amazing. And then one time Dean and I were sparring. It was really more me trying to hit him and never being able to. And he was like, look, you know you can't ever hit me. He's like, you can throw any combination, any kind of punches you want. You'll never hit me in the face. I was like, really? Come on. He's like, Ryan, no offense. You can't hit me. I was like, all right, Bruce Lee. You know, I'd probably been doing it for six months now. And, you know, had knowing me even then, I'd probably start to have a little ego about it. I was like, you don't think I can't just get your face once? And he's like, go ahead, try. And so he let me swing at his face as many times as I could. And a really hot trainer walked by and was like, hey, Dean. And he turned and said hello. And I cracked his nose wide open. So that's my background and all this stuff. And that's why I still watch this stuff. And I am... I don't know if it's complicated. Maybe it isn't. So I'm going to run through this whole thing. So whose side do you take, right? Because Connor is someone now that is, he's the most popular guy in the UFC. He's the star. He's the attraction. He's the breadwinner. He's all of those things. But it is funny, and I noticed this, and I think this is not just a small sampling of the wrong loud people or the the anti-Connor people. Maybe I shouldn't even call the anti-Connor people wrong, but you're just sort of sick of him. You're sick of him, okay? So the lead up to this fight, we had a lot of nasty things being said to each other. And I think the real question is you go, okay, MMA boxing, but in this case, MMA, our sensibilities in 2018, it doesn't feel like this kind of dialogue is a good fit for our sometimes awareness slash uh, sensitivity. And sensitivity can be a negative thing. It can be a positive thing. In this case, I think it's good when we go, hey, are we more sensitive and more aware that maybe we watch the language we use? Yeah, I think there's there's a great part of that. And then I think there's also a part where it's a little overblown and you go, you know what? I think we're being a little too sensitive on this one because the intent is not there. The connotation is a reach. Um, you know, we even had a, an issue with Ron Darling saying using the phrase chink in the armor and it then became a new york daily news i forget which new york paper picked up on it and the headline was only ron darling uses racial slur and it was it was simply like you know look that happened to max bredos at our place it was just like okay i understand what you're saying but now we're over here kind of maybe having a conversation that doesn't even make any sense and that's what's happened in the aftermath of that mcgregor who loses to habib and and habib was terrific in this whole thing okay dominant and he loses. He has to tap out. I don't think Khabib was going to let him. I don't think he was going to let go. Herb Dean had to pull his arm down. He then pushed him. He looked like he went to go spit on him. And then Khabib jumps over the railing, fights McGregor's crew. And honestly, at this point, I'm still all, I'm okay with all of these things. You want to know why? Because I wanted to be entertained Saturday night and I was unbelievably entertained. And we like drama. We like conflict. We like fights, I think. Uh, and I, and I really think that there's extra things. Like if the Red Sox had a brawl in game two against the Yankees, more people would watch game three. That's just a fact. That's the way we are. That's the reason why if there's a little extra, if there's something else sensational about 
the viewing opportunity that we have, we're going to tune into it. We're more likely to tune in, or the ratings are going to go up. You know, the same reason why I have LeBron the first time now with a member of the Heat going back to Cleveland. You could be an NBA fan and watch that game no matter what, but there's going to be other people that are watching it because it's like, oh, wait a minute, there's this extra storyline. We have to find ways to have storylines to be invested because we have so many options all the time. So, like all fights, especially one like this that people were calling the biggest fight in the history of the UFC, you had McGregor going up against... uh Nurmagomedov, who is not like a household name. People don't realize that he's this this beast of a guy who's 26-0 coming in, who is just a prodigy when it comes to fighting. Wrestling bears. There are videos of this guy wrestling a bear at nine years old. The bear is on a leash. Some people on Twitter had a problem with the bear leash. Whatever, man. If if I have a nine-year-old, there's a really good chance I'm not going to buy him a grappling bear to go at it in the backyard. So McGregor as is his history here, he goes after the opponent. He goes after the opponent with nasty stuff. Um, some of the stuff I cannot defend. I'm not going to die on a hill defending what McGregor's uh, intentions were with certain things that he said specifically against Mayweather. I think some of the other criticisms of McGregor and the things that he said tend to be a bit of a reach. But up into this timeline of Saturday night, I didn't have a problem with any of the after-the-fight stuff up until McGregor got sucker-punched. Okay, so I wasn't even anti-Khabib in doing everything that he was doing and being that upset about, okay? I thought the guy, now it started off with, at least the video that we saw, as we saw McGregor kind of exchange with a short guy that was in black, who's apparently a fighter. And then the guy in the red hoodie, which to me, I'm going to say right now, I'm not going to apologize for it, I thought what he did is worse than anything in the entire timeline. We'll go over the timeline here again. He jumps in from outside, jumps over the ring, and swings at McGregor's head from behind. And anybody, like, sucker punching is the worst, man. And you watch some of these Instagram feeds where all these fights happen, where guys are doing it to you left. Like, I I don't know if there's more sucker punches now or we just have more footage of it or what, but that's such a punk move, man. And even if you hate one of the two fighters, like, I honestly feel, and I'm not to go all Maximus here on you, but... If you're one of those gladiators willing to get in the ring and put it all in the line, and not death necessarily, but you understand what I'm saying, like go out there and your pride and knowing how how awful it's going to feel to have to tap out or get knocked out, and that you're willing to put yourself out there, the amount of respect I have for that guy is so immense, and I've I'm I'm healthy I'm healthy <laughs> in that my jealousy I I think is like a real jealousy of that must be the most amazing feeling ever, and. You can't go in there and fight one of those guys after he just did it. I don't care what's happening. You can't go in there and sucker punch that guy. Now, an hour or two later, we saw other footage of McGregor taking a swing at another guy. They were both looked like they were going over the railing, and that wasn't the case. So then that, that became, wait a minute, Connor started this whole thing. You know what I don't want to do with this whole deal, even though I could? I don't want to turn this into two kids in the backseat arguing about who did it first in a road trip with the parents losing their minds in the front, because that's what we're doing. Because when this all happens... And it was fine until Khabib jumped over. Again, I'm not even mad that he did it, okay? Because I know what I'm getting. Like, I'm not asking these guys for stock tips. I'm not getting a summer house with any of these UFC guys. I expect them to try to beat each other up, and I'm okay with that transaction. That is the contract. They hope I buy it. I hope they beat on each other, and it's great. And I got even a little bit extra. And I'm not going to apologize for enjoying the hell out of it. If you didn't like it, if you think it's horrifying, if you think it's terrible, that's cool, too. 
You're allowed to do that. I'm not asking you to see everything the way I see it, but don't tell me that I'm supposed to feel guilty about enjoying Saturday night. But if you go back to the whole kind of anti-Connor thing that threw me off a little bit, is that, wait a minute, he started this whole thing with the dolly and the bus. Here's what's stupid about social media, is that any thought that any of us have does not mean that we're incomplete. It just means, like, that's the thing that we had. We're not writing theses here. It's a freaking tweet. So, yes, almost anyone that's going, you know, look, bad look, can't believe the guy in red sucker punched McGregor. This is ridiculous. It looked like at one point three different guys tried to exchange with McGregor in the ring of a ring that he just fought in, by the way. You're sitting there in sweatshirts. That that somehow absolves McGregor's stupidity of throwing the dolly through. Like, no real, no rational person is sitting there being like, oh, actually, I thought that was totally cool when he threw the dolly through the bus and the glass, okay? Now, we can even go back further and say, well, wait a minute, how did that whole thing happen? Well, Khabib went at one of Team McGregor's guys, who's actually this Russian dude who's part of some hook up with their crew so i don't know how that all happened but i watched a video of it it was all in russian and i was researching the hell out of this stuff for the last two days just to try to figure out like how do i feel about all these moving parts and i know there's probably even more information out there that i'd even hit on so i watched the video and khabib puts his hand up around this guy who's team mcgregor and he's yelling at him in russian i don't know what the hell he's saying it looks pretty intimidating but he doesn't really slap him even though that's the way it's headlined and then that's actually supposedly the reason why mcgregor went after the bus which again was stupid and he was He went to court. He was arrested. He has paid a fine. He's actually still getting sued. And like that wasn't a great transaction for McGregor. He got in trouble for that. No one's saying that part of it's cool, even if I understand how it was motivated. And here's the thing is Khabib probably went after that guy because that guy was talking smack about something else. So I can't go all the way back to the start. I can't go back to the Bing Bang theory here and figuring out like who started it. We have to just look at all the things and go, all right, how do we overall feel? And, I, you know, again, the guy was yelling at him in Russian. I don't know what he said. I like him thick 2018 said he spoke Russian in the comments section. He said it was some real gangster stuff. I don't know if that's true or not. You know what I mean? And so then it kind of comes back full circles like, well, you know, McGregor and his language. OK, the, the the language is not anything any of us would get away with in our everyday encounters with people. But in promoting a fight and saying nasty things about your opponent, it's just the way it goes. Whether it's Tyson saying he's going to eat Lennox Lewis's children or Muhammad Ali saying awful things about his black opponents, whether it's Foreman or calling Frazier and Uncle Tom, insulting every single person. And McGregor's probably going, yeah, fine, I can play this down the middle, but I'm not. And, you know, Khabib, for all of your angst about the way I talked about you, your family, and I don't know, I mean, I really went back and looked for a lot of this stuff this is turning into that McGregor was dumping on the Muslim religion um, by calling Khabib's manager a terrorist. I'm afraid to even go too deep into this, but if you don't know anything about his manager, give yourself 30 minutes and read about him, okay? Now, does that mean that you know, McGregor should be absolved of all things. No, but I know, again, what to expect. I know that nasty things are going to be said. And because I like fighting and I like the lead-up, and McGregor's thinking, okay, you can have 300,000 buys or a couple million buys by me hyping this thing up. Hey, you cannot get paid, and I won't say anything insulting in the pre-show or pre-fight deal, or I can insult you, build up the audience, and we'll cash the checks. Like, that's that's the transaction that you kind of have to make. And I think for the super, super triggered anti-Connor guy, which isn't everybody, like, you can just hate him and, like, I get it, that's fine, you're sick of him, Dana takes care of him, blah, 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 blah. Like, you realize, you're, and I'm not to go all Chris Evans on you here, but you realize, like, you're sticking up for the guy that Putin called directly to congratulate. 
So, like, how do you how do you deal with that one? Oh, I don't like McGregor because of this stuff. I read an article about white Irish privilege today. I'm like, that's an odd sentence if you know the history of Ireland whatsoever. But I don't I don't know that you can apply. Like, and this is where I wonder if I'm the Neanderthal. But like, I just I assume guys are going to say pretty crappy things to each other leading up in the fight. I'm not going to ask any of these guys to get a summer house with me. I'm I'm not going to ever have any encounters, and I want to watch them beat each other up on a Saturday night, and I'm not going to apologize for that. Last night I was, uh, you called me to talk about this, and I, you're right, I didn't read anything about the uh, the manager, and I did after you, after we had our conversation. I mean, it is pretty wild, and I don't know where the line is there or what it is, and I'm not offended by it as someone who is you know somewhat interested in the fight. I'm way more interested in in this fight in UFC after what happened on Saturday night. So anyone arguing that this wasn't good for the sport, like, yeah, it's not a good look. But at the end of the day, like, it's just interesting. It's way more interesting because of what happened on Saturday night. Like, I don't know how that could be, even be argued. Yeah, it, it is more interesting. And I read some, you know, think pieces on on McGregor. And people, you know, look, some people are just convinced, no, Irish guy, he said a couple things about Mayweather and I'm done. And you know what? That's okay. That That's totally okay. I could see how you get from point A to point B on that. You might be right. I might be wrong. But this is not a contract of like nobility here. I'm just, I'm, I, you know, I want to watch two guys beat each other up. And I thought the guy in red that sucker punched Connor was the worst of the whole crew, knowing that Connor has done plenty of stuff that's also super crappy. And it's it's a very odd thing that happens. It's like, no, no, he did this, he did that. Oh, no, he talked about his father. Well, his father also said something about McGregor, but now this is turning and it makes it sound like all I'm doing is just well standing up for McGregor. No, all I'm trying to do is sift through all of the crap and get to a conclusion that's a pretty simple one. I'm going to get the next fight, and I'm not going to yeah. worry about it. And I think your point is right. Like, we don't have to police everything in the same in the same way. Like, when, I, when I'm ordering or interested in a fight, like, I expect it to be hostile. And that doesn't mean that you can... You know, um, you know, call people out and be, you know, yeah. Like, look, nobody's asking you to be a racist about yeah. it, but like, that's. But I'm I don't okay know, with it that... being hostile. I'm okay with it being tense and not like always PC. And that, like, that's just the way it is. It's a fight. Like, he's trying to sell a fight. And honestly, I was a little bit over it. I was like, hey, am I kind of bored of Connor now because I've seen this act before? He was gone for a little while. Like, I'm not that interested in this fight. And now this whole thing has got me back into it. Yeah, this isn't bad for the UFC. It just, it just isn't. And, um. All right, well, we have a long time to go with Anik, so let's get to him, and then I'm going to do uh, a little bit of football and a big question for Sarudi at the end of this. Listen up, people. We have a big favor to ask, and we promise it won't take up too much of your time, so just hook us up. Hook us up. This helps Sarudi. Even It helps me, but it definitely helps Sarudi. I don't get paid for any of it. Don't worry about it. Neither does he. But you know our show is supported by some fantastic sponsors, right? So we'd love to hear your feedback. Head to podcastlisteners.com. Fill out a short anonymous survey. That's it. We swear again. That's podcastlisteners.com. Thanks. So I open up the pod just kind of giving my thoughts. we got John Anik, the voice of the UFC, 229, the aftermath of this whole thing. You're sitting there with uh, Joe Rogan and Dom, right? Um and you know, I was listening all night. There's, there's a, you know, how much I love, love this whole thing, and, and think how great right. you are. So now that you've had just kind of like a day or two to think about this, I mean, we, I don't even want to start with the fight, but just everything. Like, give me your perspective sitting there ringside. 
Well, it has changed as we sit here Monday, as opposed to Saturday night when I bought, walked back to my hotel room not feeling super good about things. But I guess my thesis statement is that this thing could have been a whole lot worse. And I've worked for the UFC for seven years, and steadily our UFC security team has been beefed up. Certainly the Dolly throwing incident in April resulted in an increased security presence. Uh, you know, T-Mobile Arena Security, obviously, and the Las Vegas Police Department prevented this from being just a massive ordeal. I mean, we've seen in boxing and other sports, personal injury and other things, and bottles being thrown. And I know there was one usher that maybe should have corralled Khabib, but other than that, I thought the police and the security presence really did a good job at making sure that this thing didn't spiral any worse out of control than it already was. So as somebody that's been around Connor, I remember you as far as, you know, I've known you a long time now. I remember early on, you're like, you got to see this guy Connor fight. And it was, wasn't just his ability. It was, it was the personality, the showmanship right. of it all. Um, and we've both, you know, for those that don't know, John and I worked back in Boston a long time ago. We used to go out to Vegas for fights. He started in boxing and that transition over to the UFC. And it's just different. I mean, it's just a different world out there. So for those in the aftermath that kind of say Connor deserves this, deserved all this stuff, uh, how do you feel about that being as close as you've been to combat sports? Well, it's a good question. I think people immediately want to draw a parallel to the Dolly throwing incident or Conor McGregor running into the Bellator cage and, you know, getting into a confrontation. They want to relate that to what happened on Saturday night. And I think you do have to look at these as isolated incidents because one thing that I said on the broadcast that holds true Connor has always been humbled and respectful in defeat, and we've now seen him experience it a couple times in the UFC. He buries the hatchet right away. He gets on good terms with these past opponents, and there is a true mixed martial artist in there. Now, he is a prize fighter at his core, and he has become a master in figuring out a way to appeal to the masses or get hatred from the masses. Everybody has an opinion, obviously, about Conor McGregor, not unlike Floyd Mayweather. And at the end of the day, I think maybe he'll reflect on this and soften some of the trash talk, maybe when it comes to religion or people's families. But at the end of the day, this is a master articulator. And when he gets on a press conference stage, uh, I don't think you're going to be able to rein him in. What does the MMA world, what does the UFC world think of Khabib's team? Because I'll admit, I'm reluctant to go as deep as I could on the information that I've read. Right. And as I point out, I think a lot of people, when they heard McGregor say, okay, you know, this is his family, you know, his his manager, has this guy even in the country and all this stuff? And people immediately took it. And I was like, I wonder how many people complaining about McGregor have actually read anything about this. And again, like, I'm almost a little cautious even talking about because it's really serious stuff. So give me the UFC, the, the MMA's perspective, the world of, of this crew. Well, he as an individual and the people that I have met around him have established so much goodwill with me and the promotion that a lot of us want to pardon him for this lapse in judgment, if I can call it that. I think he, if he had to do it over, he might do it again because culturally speaking, socially speaking, these are people who are as bonded as any group I've ever come across. They stand up for what they believe in. And if they thought that Connor's actions with the dolly and his verbal stuff warranted some sort of retaliation and there was unfinished business, whether it happened at the end of this fight, Ryan, or it happened at the hotel after the fact or in the streets, uh, Habib had some unfinished business, clearly. But this dude is dripping with class, man. I mean, he is one of the last guys, and maybe that was ignorant of me, but one of the last guys that I would expect to not have the intellect to control himself 
in that situation. But I really think that he, once he beat Connor, he felt liberated to say, all right, I didn't want to do anything to jeopardize the fight. Now, if anyone else has anything to say, whether it's Dylan Dennis, your Brazilian jiu-jitsu coach, or you, Connor, or the 10,000 Irish men and women here, you want to throw your beer bottles at me, I am ready for this, is what he said. And I just think for Khabib, a switch flipped and... I'm not sure that he would take it back. But overall, man, this is about as good as it gets, and I think you'll find that he moves past this and hopefully gets a good chunk of his $2 million purse, and eventually we can learn from it and move on as a group. Yeah, the $2 million purse doesn't happen without McGregor. It's being withheld as they investigate it. But reading what I was reading today, everybody's like, look, we're going to try to resolve this as soon as possible. You're saying no suspension. I actually, like I'd said... I didn't have a problem with Khabib even doing this, really. You know, selfishly, I was entertained by it. I think the thing that, the two things that bothered me the most were the red-headed guy, or excuse right. me, the, the, the red, red hoodie guy coming yep. in and sucker punching Connor from behind. And Khabib afterwards saying things like, you know, that's this, there's no place for this in fighting. And be like, hey, bro, you can keep going like Humble Town. At 26-0, and 0, now 27-0, and 0, when people don't even realize how insane – that doesn't happen in this sport, and it's right. happened with this guy, and you can make a couple hundred grand instead of a couple million, okay? So respect to you, the fighter. I'm not even beating up on the guy, but like sometimes I wonder, like, you can – you can he can have this tight knit group. This can be a cultural thing, and I'm I'm understanding of all those things, but you're also in this business of of getting eyeballs on you, and – you can't sit there and like blame everybody else. Like, I don't care that you jumped over the ring, but then you can't sit there in the presser and blame everybody else for it. Right. No, I agree. And I think some have suggested Dana White bring the teams together or tell them separately, you know, if you guys have things you need to settle, don't do it on my time and don't do it during my fight week, okay? If it's that deep-rooted and it's something that you can't get past, you know, the verbal bombs, then then do it on your own time. But, no, I think you hit on a lot of good points, obviously. And uh, there was some sensitivity there for sure. And some people took issue with me saying that I thought this was premeditated. And I'm not saying that he went into the fight thinking that there was going to definitely be a fight after the fight and he was going to jump the octagon and go at Dylan Dennis, but I do believe that he had no intentions uh, did Khabib of burying the hatchet or, or shaking hands I think he wanted to confront Connor, as you saw. He stood over him. He had to be physically removed by the referee, Herb Dean. Uh, Khabib was still pissed after the fight, and, you know, he's all smiles now. But there are going to be some ramifications. I'm not saying there won't be a suspension, but some people said a year minimum. I don't see it. I think maybe they give him nine months, and, and hopefully that allows him to keep his title. I don't think he wanted to let Holt let go of Connor when Connor tapped out. No, I think no. Her, I think Herb had to rip his arms apart because I don't yeah, think he was no. going to let him out. Well, and that's the thing, too. Like, I feel like Conor McGregor, at his core, believed that everything he said was pre-fight hype. And I don't know how much of this video, Ryan, you've ingested, but you can see Conor at the end of the third round, the round in which he won, he pulls Khabib closer and he says, this is just business. So Conor really, at his core, there's a good guy in there. And some of your audience just does not want to believe that, you know. And I haven't had as much personal interaction with him over the last three years as he has mushroomed as I have with Khabib Nurmagomedov. But my dealings with Conor McGregor have been nothing but positive. This, I mean, this is a mixed martial arts fan at his core, right? This is a guy who sits around watching UFC fight nights when he doesn't have to. And I think he was surprised maybe that Khabib took everything as personally as he did. Why do people... 
I mean, is this just the way it goes? Like my whole Steph Curry thing from years ago where he was just this golden boy, untouchable, approval rating through the roof, and I just say, well, hey, look, it's going to turn on him at some point because that's just what happens. It turns. Um, it's turned on McGregor. I like McGregor the fighter. I like that he decided to mess with the weight classes. I like that he decided, screw it, I'll fight Floyd because it's an entertainment thing. And I actually was kind of impressed <laughs> with the Floyd fight. I thought that would, I, you know, yeah. I didn't think he had a chance. And the fact that it was even, I mean, people can say, oh, Floyd carried him and all these different things. I don't know, man. I, I, I thought, like, as bad as I thought that could be, it wasn't. And then he comes right back and the first guy he's fighting is Khabib. So, I mean, this is, this is a guy that, there's from just the fighting standpoint, I respect that part of him, but it's very clear that people are pissed at Dana for like the golden goose here, which is a business decision by Dana. So I don't know that you can blame him for that. Right. Or I don't know, maybe maybe there's a part of the audience that after the fact they had to kind of choose sides between Floyd and Connor, which became very much racially divided right. um, for a bunch of different reasons. It I was surprised at how many people were like good. And screw Connor after the fact. And I'm wondering if that's a, a, an accurate sampling or how you see that considering you're in this thing every week. No, I mean, and I hear that from some people, coaches that I'm very close with, and I can't believe they are so one-sided that way. And now even starting they don't like to like they're not, yeah, and now they're even starting to denigrate Conor McGregor, the fighter. I mean, the amount of misinformation out there in terms of the shape Conor McGregor was in. For those suggesting he wasn't in shape for this fight, at least try to credit a source or give us something to chew on because this guy is renowned for his work ethic. He does the right work. He's just not a lifelong grappler like this internationally recognized Sambo master who does this to everyone. Sambo, so, love it. No, hey, can I, can I just jump in? Because I always get nervous with that. It's almost like, hey, was that a cover two or what were we doing quarters there? Because right. I'm watching it going, and I said after the fact, like I was glad that Khabib beat him when I thought McGregor was ready. Like there, like any right. other fighter that messes with the weight classes, goes and decides to be a boxing celebrity for a little while, then hasn't fought in forever, and then goes back to another Like anybody else that would do that, I'd pick against him every single time, especially against his opponent, okay? But because it's Connor, and I still thought he was going to lose, but like because it's Connor, you're going, man, I really, I don't know, he's a tough guy to doubt. He's a tough guy to doubt. And I was yeah. in the building for the Mendez fight where I'm like, oh my gosh, Chad's going to, like he's going to get him here. And then he didn't. And then he, you know, right. the way he fought back on the ground, and then I'd said, you know, it didn't feel like it was this out of shape, not sharp guy. He did look like he was looking for his left and setting that up for that kill shot. But I mean, the fact that Khabib was on him for two straight rounds, like what do people expect a guy to look like in the fourth round after five minutes, five minutes straight, back to back five minute rounds of having this grappling master absolutely sit on you the whole time? Like nobody's fresh in the history of people. Nobody's right. fresh after that. And I, I was like, hey, he looked well conditioned or at least conditioned enough for Connor. And that's another thing with Connor. It's not like this guy's like five round guy all the time because that's just not the way he fights. So I felt like an even bigger salute to Habib in this one is that he, I, I don't think it was some washed version of McGregor. Right. No, and Connor has tried to sort of close that gap and become a better five-round fighter, but you are absolutely right. And the thing, too, about Floyd Mayweather that I've always said is most impressive about him is that he was never flat on fight night. Even when he started slowly against guys like Sugar Shane Mosley, Floyd Mayweather never had a bad night. And even though Connor put himself in position to have a good night, this was probably his worst performance. That would probably be his assessment. You know, he was not happy at all to get caught by that big right hand from Khabib Nurmagomedov. He don't want to get knocked down 
by Habib in this fight, right? He just wasn't at his efficient best. And everything I saw from Connor during fight week, he was in outstanding shape. He was strong. He was as articulate as ever, sharp as attack, focused. And then on fight night, I saw him walk in, and it looked like the color wasn't there in his face. The confidence didn't seem to be there. Maybe I'm reading too much into that, but I think ultimately the reality and the gravity of the opponent set in, and he just understood, you know, this is going to be a real challenge. And I think he also, too, I'm going long here, but he doesn't get credit for coming back and fighting the guy who is far and away the toughest matchup for him in this division. So anytime I say anything nice about Dana White or Conor McGregor, I'm a shill, but that's honestly how I feel. What else haven't I asked you about that you want to tell us about that night? Like, well, give I just me a want to say Zubera Tuhugov, okay, who's a UFC featherweight and teammate of Khabib Nurmagomedov, and he is a guy who came into the octagon and lost his UFC contract, essentially, by engaging Conor McGregor physically. Now, when we're calling this fight, I'm looking to my right, I see Khabib Nurmagomedov, and all of a sudden I pan back left, and I see this guy, Tuhugov, a UFC fighter, crack Conor McGregor with a right hand. Now, I did not see Conor McGregor throw the first punch at Tuhugov. All of that being said, even though we didn't reference it on pay-per-view, I still believe Conor McGregor is far more in the right. He's the guy who just lost a mixed martial arts contest. He's in an octagon defending himself, and Zubair jumps the octagon with intent to get into something with Conor McGregor. So there are a lot of different layers to this, and you know, I don't know how much time we have, but that was we have all the time you want. I mean, that was one big takeaway for me was that. Yes, we missed that on the broadcast, and poor Dana White having to do this press conference without all the information while police is in the back watching video. I mean, it was total chaos, and I think all things considered, you know, we tried to paint as accurate a picture as we could. Yeah, because I thought, you know, and as I said earlier, once we got the video hour or two later of McGregor being up on the railing, taking a swipe at um, somebody from Habib's camp, I was like, oh, okay, but you know what? That's still not as bad as the guy in red. It isn't. And then it just, you know, I already know what the people that hate Connor are going to hate that we're doing this, but I just, I think there are different levels to this whole thing. And then as McGregor's exchanging punches with a security guy in between, is this the guy you're talking about here? Like McGregor actually gets him pretty good, and the other guy doesn't, you know, they, they hit each other, and that's when the the red hoodie guy comes in. What happened to red hoodie guy? That I don't know, but I got to think he was among those who were arrested, and he might be the guy that ultimately ends up getting the most punishment here. I mean, Khabib Nurmagomedov is certainly going to be sanctioned. I don't think much is going to come Connor's way. I mean, I don't know how you can fault one of the fighters staying in the octagon and protecting himself. I mean, yes, he did throw the first punch technically, but all of it came after Khabib had exited the octagon. Um, what what a scene, man! I just and dude, imagine Were if you scared? landed flush one of those left hands and knocked a guy out cold. Then all of a sudden, that becomes a huge cornerstone of the narrative. So I don't know. Dude, man. Were you That's scared? Why I sort of let off by saying, "Thank God this thing didn't spiral completely out of control," because we thought we were going down a path uh, that was a lot darker and deeper than the one we went down. Yeah. Um, all right. So I, I just yelled it twice. So I, I have to say it a third huh. time because I don't think you heard me. But we, I mean, did you think a riot like? You've already said you thought it was going to get worse. Like, what are you and Rogan doing? Well, you know, I feel like we sort of went in somewhat expectant that something could go wrong. I mean, my twin brother came out to the fight, and I did say to him, like, don't be afraid to expect the unexpected. I was more thinking there would be a fight that would break out into the crowd. You know, never did I think things would play out this way. But I don't know. When you're in the moment and you got a hot headset, I don't think you're thinking about your safety as much as maybe the safety of, of Bob Kraft and others sitting to my left. But I you're think worried about Dana, Bob that's Kraft. his big concern. Yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. I guess it. 
that's a story for another day. But I feel like for Dana, that's his big concern. He's all of a sudden seeing his life and everything flash before him, you know, fans getting hurt and suing the UFC. And, um, but, man, they restored order quickly. I mean, I sound like a company guy, but they got to work. Did you see Paul Pierce? I don't know what was going on there. They, like, wouldn't let him down to his seat. Did that distract you at any point in some of the earlier fights? It would have distracted me if I had known the truth was in the building. I'm learning this for the first time right now, unfortunately. The truth? Yeah, the truth. It, nothing, it wasn't really bad, but it was weird. Like, people were trying to move him. Or maybe he didn't have his ticket for the lower section. He just figured, like, hey, I'm 6'8". Well, no, well, he's more like 6'7". Um, you know, and I, I drop buckets. Do you see my first or second half against the Nets? Uh, I was there I, live in person, by the way, for that. Well, when he had when yep. he had the playoff game against the Nets? No, no the, the regular the, season. The crazy. 40? Or yeah. whatever it was, yeah, yeah. that was nuts. Uh, we'll do that. I, I hope you save time. time for us to just spend thirty seconds on your amateur mixed martial arts debut. I don't know how familiar your entire audience is with how close that came <laughs> to coming to pass or not. <laughs> Go ahead. So I just want to say, you know, I would say the highest it got was maybe there was a fifteen percent chance that Rosillo <laughs> was going to have an amateur mixed martial arts fight. And if you know Ryan, you know he wanted to be you know, 95% healthy in the shape of his life, and I'm just trying to have him get in there and tap out if he has to. I just feel like there's a good chance that, you, you know, you get a good draw and you connect on somebody, and could you imagine cracking a mic on the Rosilla Show after going 1-0 in amateur mixed martial arts? The problem is, is as great as cracking the mic at 1-0 would be, I'd know myself all too well how I'd feel for probably a month after going 0-1. And right, when right. we talked about it, we both, I think, came to the conclusion that if I did it, somebody would definitely, like, nobody's going to help me out with that matchup. They're going to, like, let's teach <laughs> this guy a lesson. So, yeah. no, I, was, I think there was a lot of truth there, but I, I saw far more upside <laughs> than you did because I didn't think you'd get knocked out. You know, I, I didn't think you'd get knocked out. And I know you're not the tapping type, but uh, if you got to <laughs> tap out to save a limb, you're not afraid to do that. Yeah, I would, I, uh, I've always. I try to tell this to my friends, but if I ever need an ego boost, I can call John. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> and, uh, you know, you've, you've been on this for a while. And I would say there was a stage there probably a few years ago where I was like, okay, let's put together a plan. Like, yeah. We, and we weren't going to tell anybody. I wasn't going to talk about it unless I won. And then people <laughs> was going to get out. I mean, no matter what happened, once I did it, it was going to get out that I did it. And, you were more of the belief, like if I just found some place in the area in Connecticut, that I, you liked my chances. Like you've always well, right. I think you're selling yourself short a little bit and really overestimating the amateur mixed martial arts talent at 185 pounds in the state well, of Connecticut. I mean, the, who do you think is out there right now? Right. That's the other problem, though, is that at 220, you wanted me to fight at 185. Right. Yeah. That right. <laughs> so right. Well, then. When I started looking at the 205 guys, I was like, God, these 205 guys still look really big. And you're like, yeah, but dude, you'll get to 185 and you'll put 15 <laughs> pounds right back on. You'll be fine. And then I was also like, it's taken me a long time to get jacked. So I don't know that I right. want to weigh 185 again. Like that's, right. that's college. Right. So no, I mean, I, I know how hard you've worked dating to 2002. I get it. Well, hey, <laughs> the I, other I, thing... don't close the door. Don't close the door yet. You're right. Because of um, some of the back issues that I've had, I was like, you know, I can't really move the way I used to be able to move. And I, I think of anything, forget the striking, forget the ground. Like, can I avoid stuff or am I just going to stand in front of somebody who's been doing this a long time and has like parent issues? So yeah, you're you know, right. if, the guy who's mad at right. his dad, you'll be in real trouble. Yeah, right. And he's like, you know, so... 
there is a difference between, you know, moving around. I would say strength wise, you'd be okay, but I, I don't, there's just no, I just don't think there's any way. Like I would do some of the workout stuff that I was doing when I was training with those guys. And I, all of a sudden, like my, my side to side head movement stuff just sucked. Like I, yeah. you know, I wasn't well, avoiding anything. So then, but you just figured that I was going to get to like 185, fight a clown, be able to toughen it out and connect once. Like that was your whole thing is that I would hit somebody once good enough that I right. get a win and get out of there because the other guy would be clown city. You know what I'm definitely not doing? I'm doing it now that I live in LA. Cause that's, I'm going to yeah. run into some ranch hand or some guy that's a mechanic and I'm going to get murdered and it's going to be all over social media. So I'm out. So, so, so anybody yeah, listening right. to this that thinks, Hey, come down and train. We'll get you in a fight in six months. I'm not doing it in LA. Maybe Hartford, not LA. Yeah, I would say in Los Angeles, you should even be selective in terms of which gym you walk into, because I know a few guys out there that wouldn't mind, you know, putting that left jab in your in your grill. <laughs> uh, before I let you go, I hope we covered all of this. I guess I was, I don't know, I mean, it was such a dramatic thing, and then you're sitting there calling it. By the way, was there any conversation about not replaying it? Because I thought that was a miss. I thought you guys should have replayed it once for us. The brawl? Yeah. So it's interesting, right, when you're sitting there calling the singular biggest fight in UFC history, and then all of a sudden you start calling a brawl. And my inner monologue is, I guess I just call this brawl until they tell me to stop talking. But I think because, in all likelihood, the video will be repurposed at some point in time, if and when these guys fight again, yeah, there probably wasn't too much downside night of. But, you know, it's a decision a producer makes in the moment, and we got a lot of guys that, I have nothing but support for, but I think it's fair for you to qualify that as a miss. Did Joe say anything after the fact about this night? Well, I think he's just really disappointed, and, you know, I think it hit him pretty hard because he's been with this company, you know, since I was a senior in high school in 1997, and he just felt like this was a huge opportunity for mixed martial arts, and he didn't want the headlines to be this. And we spent some time talking about how special a fighter Khabib Nurmagomedov is today, right? But in a different world, we would have spent 20 minutes talking about him. And I think Joe, too, talked about some of the venom that was going to come Habib's way. I think Habib really doesn't care, and I think he is going to find a way to handle that pretty well. But uh, it is kind of like walking back into your new life. You know, when you go through something like this, uh, it, it really has an impact on you. But if anyone can handle it, it's it's Habib Nurmagomedov. And we'll see, man. I mean, I, you know, Tony Ferguson, you know, to me, kind right. of stole the show, and I'm happy I gotta that get he there. was on. Right. Yeah, I'm yeah. happy that so, he was on this this pay per view and had that you know uh, the chance to maximize it. So he and Pettis fight, and what I love the most about that fight is like there's guys. The amount of respect I have for any one of these dudes, as we joke about me hitting a bag and and ever doing uh-huh. this, I think I was more about I wanted to do a walkout song and pick one out and put on a mean face and act yes, cool. Yes, but you were also gonna... training regularly. I mean, let's not leave out the you know not right. bury okay. the lead. So anyway. um, Pettis and Ferguson are guys like those guys love to fight. They're not just doing it. They legitimately love getting not just punching you. They don't care about getting hit. And I thought that fight was great. You ended up with blood on your shirt. I want to get to that. But Ferguson's win streak, what he's done, what that maybe means for him and the aftermath of the main event with this whole thing. So I guess explain to us how impressive this Ferguson run is and what that fight was like, because that was probably as entertaining as any fight I've seen in a long time. And really for somebody that deserves probably a lot more credit for what he's pulled off here. Absolutely. Yeah. Off the record, Tony Ferguson's my favorite fighter on the roster. And when you look at the body of work 
14 and 1 in the UFC, first fighter at 155 pounds to get a double digit winning streak. This division has been the cream of the crop for years. It's where all winning streaks go to die. His hasn't died. He had a major knee injury tripping on a television wire in April, and six months later, having done no physical therapy, taking all the rehab and the training onto himself, he returns to the greatest proven ground in the sport against a former undisputed lightweight champion in Anthony Showtime Pettis and, you know, picks up exactly where he left off. I mean, and, you know, three more wins on the Ultimate Fighter, all of them finishes. So 18 times he's been in that octagon. He's won 17. First guy I can ever think of who's a first ballot Hall of Famer that has never even fought for the undisputed UFC lightweight title. And I think Dana, even though he has some pause in making Ferguson Nurmagomedov again, because as some of your listeners may know, they have signed that fight three times and it has gone by the boards actually four times, I think, now. That's the fight, right? Any true avid mixed martial arts fan that watches every show we do, their dream fight is Khabib and Tony, and that's something that was certainly preserved with Saturday night's results. And then finally, the Black Beast, not racist. That's his nickname. Let's talk about your man, Lewis, with the walk-off punch with seconds to go in a fight he was absolutely losing. Speaking of back injuries, um, he looked terrible. I've seen him fight before. I know his his approach. And, I mean, I, it wasn't excuse-making. I loved it from him. It was real honesty, like, hey, dude, I couldn't really train. And right away, you're like, oh, my gosh, he's toast. Yeah. And then right, just, and even when he is able to train hard and get through a camp with his back, it's not like he's doing three or four a days with a super clean diet. He is who he is, and when the cardio abandons him, he can lean on the heart. You know, there are a lot of heavyweights, and I'm not going to name names, but they're looking for a chance to get out of there once they start eating lunchboxes or the going gets tough. You know, I don't know if Derek Lewis broke his orbital, but he did break a finger backstage warming up before the fight. But that dude is all heart, and Houston, Texas loves that guy. I'm telling you, there aren't that many guys on our roster that can legitimately sell out domestic markets, and Derek Lewis can certainly do that in Houston. And it's just crazy to think, man, that on paper now, he's won 9 of 10, and if Brock Lesnar doesn't come back, there's a decent chance the Black Beast fights Daniel Cormier uh, for the UFC heavyweight title first quarter 2019. Is there any truth to the rumor that once all this stuff started breaking out, that a lot of the fighters were scared because Luke Rockhold was there, and they were like, look, everybody relax, because if we piss off Luke, it's over for all of us. Very much so, you know. (laughs) And, man, did he look good Saturday night, i got to tell you. He's a good-looking guy. We've been over this before. I know nobody – he's another one. Nobody likes him now. You know, whenever I tweet out a Luke Rockhold thing, because I still like him, I think he was – you know, when it was right, he was as impressive as an athlete as, as we saw. Oh, but yeah, I mean, he's gotten racked a couple we times. Thought, we really thought he was going to go down as, as the greatest middleweight of all time, or at least start to chase down Anderson Silva, and it all yeah, went I mean, sideways got... with Michael Bisping. But maybe we can get you in the building November 3rd, UFC 230, Madison Square Garden. He's rematching Chris Weidman. Yeah, I know, and I you know how much I enjoy Weidman, so I... <laughs> I think, wait a minute, he, November 3rd? Oh, no, yeah, it's that's Alabama. the next pay-per-view. I yeah, mean, it's Pam at LSU. I'll be in Baton Rouge. Priorities. I get it. No, I know. You know what was funny about Rockhold is that we had him on. You helped set it up. I think we had him on again. The Bisbing fight really bothered me because you could just tell like he didn't respect Bisbing at all. Like it was like he was annoyed that Bisbing was in the ring with him. And then yeah. you know, Bisbing's a if you say what you want about that dude, man, like he's another one of those guys. At his core, he's just a tough guy. Like, okay, you know, I know I'm not supposed to be this guy. I know my resume. I'm older. I'm not as athletic or whatever. Like, I still want to fight you. 
And oh, you know, he's as the I, most I, inspirational professional athlete right. that I have ever seen fight live. I mean, you watch that guy fight, you realize, at least for me, how not tough I am. You know, I mean, he just <laughs> All of us. through hell, and yeah. it, it, you know, not unlike Tony Ferguson, these guys just have a trigger, and the way they're able to focus and recover when they absorb concussive damage really just sets them apart. You know, it's just it's just a crazy gear that I couldn't, at least for me as a limited athlete, could never relate to. Right. So that happens, and then now, you know. I, I don't know. It's weird. It's weird how. I mean, that's just what fighting is, though. As, as soon as you know, you yeah. I mean, couple, I think the guys I like are just off. Move up. I like seeing him move up to two hundred and five pounds. You know, he's he's huge, right? I mean, he does like stare death in the face, making eighty five, and I think he could be champion at light heavyweight. So once his teammate Daniel Cormier figures out what he's going to do, he's turning forty in March. I think eventually Luke's future is up a division, and he's got a good chance to become a, a two division champ. I told you about the DM story with Rockhold, right? Yeah, but, you know, my memory's not great. I'm 40 years old, Ryan. I know. You're such a young kid, though, in my in my <sighs> art. Yeah, I DM'd him afterwards. It was like, hey, man, good luck. And that's when he won um, the belt. And this is, you know, it was it was this was Weidman, right? He got the belt from Weidman, correct? Yeah, right. Yeah, huge fan over here. I forgot. So well, and then they were <laughs> then they were supposed to <laughs> then they were supposed to rematch, right? Yeah. This rematch that is happening next month, and that's when Bisping stepped in on short notice. Yeah, right, because he got hurt. But then even Rockhold was hurt in that, and he still won. And so, like I had said to him, "Hey, man," because I I made the mistake with him that thinking we really hit it off. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, yeah, and he's you know there's certain guys that, like there's just different tiers there's tiers above me that those guys are like oh that dude yeah he's all right it's like we're not hanging out and then i have tiers below me that are the same exact thing like hey i'm like yeah dude whatever like we're not keeping in touch with you every day like i, I appreciate what we're doing here and you know you, i got your back ask me some questions from now and then but like i don't want to i don't want to get a i don't want to get two twins on the road for a hotel if we're going to a game <laughs> so i had I had NBA raps or something that night of the fight when I was in Connecticut. So, like, I told everybody, I go, whatever we're doing tonight, can none of you tell me what happens in the Rockhold fight? I already bought it. I'm taping oh, it. Yeah. I'm going to be home at, like, one thirty, And just all night, please don't be the person that screws us up. And I'm reminding everybody, like, every commercial break, every commercial break. And then I had them turn the monitors away from me as I was watching all the NBA stuff. And I wouldn't open up Twitter. I didn't open up anything. Whatever. So I... Listen to music on the way back. Don't turn on the radio. I get back to the place in Connecticut. I walk in. I close my eyes with the sound off so that I can rewind. And I'm at this point, I still don't know what happened. And I watch. He wins. I'm pumped. It's 2-something in the morning. I can't fall asleep. I send him a DM. I tell him essentially everything I just said to you. And he was like, crickets. (laughs) (laughs) Shut it down. Well, Yeah. He's like, hey, dude, I came on your show for eight minutes. We're not buddies, but I appreciate your inspirational speech. Right. I mean, you really are. I mean, if he had a fan club, you would have a role. You know, I don't know what it would right. be. But you well, would let's get this win in November, though. Let's get this win. Um, final yeah. thought. For those that don't know, and I'm going to just remind everybody of this again, that Anik uh, and I were co-hosts after I was forced to have him on because Anthony Pepe, our lead host, was annoyed with me because he used to write out show topics on a legal pad and then just rapid fire me. Um, which was a jerk move by me in hindsight, should because I should have worked together with him better on creating a show. But I didn't really know what he was doing. I didn't know what I was doing. And then instead of working with him, I just was like, what are you doing? This is stupid. And then you just showed up 
and he didn't tell me and I was pissed in the beginning right. and then you ended up becoming one of my best friends and your career is incredible and I'm so happy for you and I know I've said this to you before but do you ever think about this run that you've been on because we can have these moments where from the outside it's like oh my god look at it like he's you're calling the UFC main event do you allow yourself to appreciate it enough knowing that you essentially were the office manager and then intern and then my co-host yeah i mean i i was really thankful for this opportunity this past weekend far and away the biggest sporting event that i have ever called and uh i wouldn't have left espn after six years if i didn't hope to eventually ascend into the number one seat and you know try to be the lead voice of this sport that i care deeply about but i'll tell you man with three kids it's like reality hits hard you know i hit the red eye last night i come home and it's just like in your face and obviously i love them dearly but there's just not a lot of time to, you know, think about what happened when you get back to, to the reality of my life and what it is right now with, you know, three kids under seven, God help me. But, no, it's been great. And, you know, I know there were a lot of people close to me in my life who thought I made some bad decisions, you know, whether it was taking out a big loan to go back to school for broadcasting or leaving ESPN for a sport, you know, that didn't have a necessarily a great domestic TV future. But, uh you know, a lot of it's been right place, right time, learning from people like you. And I just want to say for your audience, and I know you think I give you this ego stroke, but like I watched Ryan Russillo work for years, and I was like, dude, I can't do daily radio because I can't compete with this guy, not just the knowledge, the work ethic. I've never seen anything like it. You know, you're the hardest worker in the room. You're Kobe Bryant. You've always been that guy. And, uh, you know, it's kind of nice to see you get some credit for uh, – for that output and everything else, my man. So I'm glad to be able to chop up the UFC. I mean, if I if I know it would take a brawl to get on this podcast, I would have tried to facilitate something sooner. No, we're gonna have you on again, man. I mean, you know how much I love this stuff. I just do, and you know, texting away, and what do you think before? But yeah, I there. No one believes in the best version of me more than John Anik to the point oh. where you think I do. You would probably put money on me in this amateur thing where I likely would get knocked oh. out or just wrapped up in a pretzel and have to tap out within 30 seconds with somebody who knew what he was doing. And you told me to DM one of the ring girls who doesn't even speak English. Oh. That's the kind of... Anik has such confidence, like completely absurd, irrational confidence in me, but everybody should have somebody like that in their life, and I'm happy that it's you. Well, hey, I bet on you in 2003, and I'm still cashing in 2018. So say what you want, man, but I'm laughing at the bank. I'll never. You were like DM her. I'm like, doesn't she not Do speak it. English? And you were like, she'll. You get. You were like, you got a blue check, and you get enough followers. She'll. She'll oh, speak you back up. Man. I did oh, not. By man. the way, I did not. But but John told me to. Um, you're the best, buddy. And where can we? Um, Follow you on Twitter, and then also your SoundCloud. I'm kidding, but uh, also <laughs> pump pump your podcast there with Florian. All right, Anakin Florian podcast. I appreciate it. You know, just did a recap this morning, so that should be out in all the places podcasts are ingested. You can find me on Twitter if you feel like it at John underscore Anik. Be kind, folks. It's live television. Okay, you're great, man. Thank you. Love you. See you, bud. Before I get to the rest of the football stuff, um, and look, we went real UFC heavy. I'm going to do an NBA one, probably be all NBA. Uh, I may even do a little bit of NBA here in the, the, the start of this, but I, we're going to get rolling here because we did a heavy UFC. And I know some of you guys are going to be like, come on, dude, back-to-back UFC things. Hey, sorry for being versatile. You know, that's on me. I apologize. Speaking of versatile... How about you just up your game in all sorts of different categories? Because it's not just one. Some of these subscription things, be like, hey, man, what's that? No, no, no. Bespoke. Completely different deal. 
Because when you're constantly on the go, grinding away at work or out with friends, there's not much time to think about upgrading your style or apartment. Tell me about it. That's why I love getting hooked up with a box of awesome from Bespoke Post every month. These guys out there scouting for quality and unique products to send to me and Saruti. And now you can experience it, too, at boxofawesome.com. So you have, what, the travel gear, and you'll be hooking that up when you go to the... Where's the honeymoon, by the way? We're going to Hawaii, and I actually have my bag from Bespoke. I've got some hair products, because obviously you got to look fresh for the Instagram pictures uh, in the honeymoon, so oh, uh, Bespoke hooked me up. There you go. All right, well, to get started, go to boxofawesome.com and answer a few short questions that will help them get a feel for the boxes that will best go with your style, whether you're in search of the perfect drink a well-kept pad, or jet-setting in style like Saruti, Bespoke Post improves your life one box at a time. Each box goes for under 50 bucks, but has more than $70 worth of unique gear waiting inside for you. The first of each month, you'll receive an email with your box details. You'll have five days to change colors and sizes or add extra goods to your box. If you're not feeling that month's box, then simply skip it from barrel-aging kits to limited-edition cigars, weekender bags to classy dop kits, Bespoke Post offers essential goods and guidance for the modern man. To receive 20 percent off your first subscription box go to boxofawesome.com and enter the code russillo r-u-s-s-i-l-l-o at checkout that's boxofawesome.com code russillo r-u-s-s-i-l-l-o for 20 percent off your first box bespoke post theme boxes for guys that give a damn ryan mcdonough out as gm of the phoenix suns i have a minute or two on this but i'm going to tell everyone all of us nba fans out there the gm job is changing and um, the owners are less apologetic or less cryptic about hiding the fact that they want to call all the shots on all this stuff. I'm not going to sit here and say that Ryan did an awesome job. Maybe they have the pieces in place now, though. I mean, if, if Jackson improves and carries over from last year and Aiton ends up being terrific to go with Booker, they could have uh, some things work out. But a lot of the draft picks haven't worked out. The trades haven't gone great. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you Ryan McDonough was incredible and this is an awful, awful decision. It makes really little sense unless there's more to the story nine days before the season's about to start. But the reports where Sarver wants more of a say, all these guys are going to want more of a say. Whether it's a GM and name only, and the GMs, I think, moving forward are going to be people that have less juice across the board. I don't know that there's going to be a lot of guys that come right in that are vice president of an organization, unless it's somebody with so many options. Like the guy that gets that vice president gig day one and has final say, and really the owners still always have final say, but has has enough sway. It's got to be a, a former player or it has to be ownership that's desperate to hire somebody from their history because that's why the Nash thing I tweeted out, I'd heard that Sarver wanted Nash to run the whole thing. I don't even know if Nash would take it. Um, and I have nothing. I mean, this is, we're talking, you know, the last couple of years, just gossipy stuff of like, Hey, you know, who, you know, cause I'd always heard Ryan was in trouble for a while. And, um, I, I just think with families, I think we're seeing it in Milwaukee. I think Atlanta, even Golden State, even though with Myers there, and I've heard that, that, um, Lakeup's son is terrific and everybody really likes him in Golden State. So I don't hear anything negative about that. But whether it's new acquisitions and multi-billion dollar price tags on these teams, which really changes the game, that ownership may say, Hey, I feel even more empowered to want to go ahead and do this. But I think there's going to be some organizations that are hiring GMs that have absolutely no juice whatsoever and they'll have pay, uh, pay stubs that reflect that. I guess I could say, you know, a paycheck or whatever, a salary that reflects it. But I, I think we're seeing a shift here and the shift has already happened. And, um, whether it's going to be family influence in the front office or figurehead GMs, um, expect to see some more of this stuff. Is that a good job? The son's job? Yeah. Like, like, do you like their pieces? Like where they're going? Like, I, I don't, I don't know. 
And all the, well, the Sarver there. part scared. Like the Sarver thing is the first thing. You just go, well, like, what are we doing here? Because I mean, he had that run where I think they sold like five first round picks in a yeah. row, and it was it was so. And then they spend like whatever they were saving on selling the picks, they were immediately spending because you still have to spend to the cap floor anyway. So it was a really poor approach to running that team. And you know, look, Ryan's missed out on some picks. You know, sometimes like my old Rob Hennigan thing is that sometimes the pick that was available was the pick that was available. So it wasn't so much scouting it wrong. It's just like the Orlando Magic. You know this. They seem to always land at the slot that was the wrong spot to land. Yeah, I saw Simmons rank them as like number two in the W two. You know what? What are they doing? Basically, rankings for the last decade. But I think they're just more unlucky than anything. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Like, like they're not. In the, they're I, not in Kings territory. No, I think the Magic actually are. <laughs> I'm serious. Like I don't think they're. I was surprised to see Simmons do that because I just don't look at Orlando as this dysfunctional group of stupid guys in the front office I, I, it, because it isn't first of all i'm telling you right now they're not dummies uh, if you look at every year where they drafted and you can always play this game you're like oh you could have taken Dejounte murray well everybody could have uh, you know like i don't i don't always think that's fair like oh look what he pa-. i hate when guys tweet out like look what he passed on yeah passed on like, jimmy okay. butler cool. right okay, okay. <laughs> right got it you know you passed on draymond like when guys build those graphics i go you're just a clown just stop don't everybody everybody misses on people the problem for orlando is is you know, I know what they were trying to do. I think, I look, I don't want to turn this into Orlando thing because we're going to do an hour straight of magic stuff. But those guys are not dysfunctional idiots, and there are other franchises that are far worse off in their front office than the Magic are. I mean, it's just that's just unfair and inaccurate. Wow, Shaking taking a shot. It's yeah, I'm going right at Simmons there. Yeah. Look out, Nick's need, need to be higher in that ranking. Sorry, we'll move on. Yeah, uh, agreed. Okay, I have a question for you. <laughs> So the Hugh Jackson thing was really funny. So the Browns win in overtime. Everybody's tying. It's a blast. Like, yeah, sure, let's make the game safer. Or we're going to have more ties. Um, Hugh Jackson put up two. That means he definitely didn't know the rules, correct? 100%. Yeah, I mean, there's no real debate around that. Did anybody else try to propose that it was something else? No. Yeah, right? I mean, it's not like you're going for two. They just kicked a field goal. So <laughs> what else could it possibly be? <laughs> yeah. So once you want to say, hey, it's second win of the year. I don't, I mean, I listen. I'm no, things no, out there. no, no. And here's the thing. Like I wasn't even anti Hugh when he was one in 31 because I thought it was unfair. And if you look at their, speaking of first round picks, if you talk about the Phoenix Suns, when you looked at the Browns missing on what five straight years. And at this point, you would go, okay, here's five straight first round picks that aren't on the roster. If you were a GM of an NFL team and you said, Hey guys, just for giggles, let's see if we can pick five first rounders where none of them are on the roster after the fifth pick. It'd be hard to do that. Even if you picked a guy you thought sucked, you're evaluating like you would, you would get one wrong. You would say a guy was terrible. He ended up being good because you would just like five drafts. You were going to get something wrong. They pulled it off. So I didn't want to hold all that against Hugh. Maybe I should have. I just think that's like, that just tells you there's tiers of coaches that understand what's going on and there's others that don't. I mean, the hard knocks thing, I, I feel like after I watched hard knocks, it was just like, I feel bad for this dude. He just, yeah, I don't want to go in on him and he just yeah. in over his head. And, you know, that whole scene in hard knocks where he's arguing with his coaches and they want to do something else and he's in the meeting saying, this is my team. And when you get your team, you can run your team. I have my team. We're going to do it this way. And every, nobody agreed with him and nobody had his back. <laughs> I was just like, this. How much longer can this be? And honestly, it's annoying because you, you know, I, I'm rooting for Baker. Like, I want I want Baker to be awesome, and I just wonder how awesome he can be with that group there right now. 
Yeah. All right. So, yeah, I don't want to go in on them too much because they're winning games. Like, what are we going to start doing? Anti-Brown segments now that they're winning games? Like, that doesn't seem fair. I just thought the two seconds thing was a tough look. Okay, I'm going to throw a hypothetical at you because right. Hopkins was incredible for Houston. And I, you know, the, B button. the whole we don't talk about this guy enough. The list is really long of all these things that we supposedly don't talk about enough. General consensus is that it's either Julio, Antonio Brown, or Odell Beckham as the best receiver in the league, right? Yep. And I think Hopkins should be mentioned in that group. I think you can tell that athletically he's not thought to be as crisp. Like, I don't know if anybody runs routes as well as Brown does. He's not physically as imposing as Jones, and he doesn't have that high-end, holy bleep, what are we going to do with this guy that Odell has, right? I, I think that's how... This is my somewhat, you know, again, willing to admit that I, I don't know everybody's routes and all that kind yeah, of stuff. He's but just kind of sneaky good at everything. Sneaky hands are incredible. Plays so tough. Contested catches. I'd argue that his contested catch ability is better than any of those guys. And then there's, there's always the A.J. Greens of the world where I go, you know what? Like, A.J. should get mentioned more. You know, he hasn't had 10 touchdowns in a game, though. And I went through it this morning. In a, or game, ten touch- in a game would be a lot. I apologize. Ten touchdowns in a season. He hasn't had that since his third year. Yeah. Yeah, but can't you argue the thing about Julio? Julio hasn't scored a touchdown in two years. Julio plays more than you think. I always feel like Julio's banged up, been on the injured list. And speaking of teams, like I was going to go through all the first place teams. I'll just give it a little time because there's a lot of teams in first place. You're like, are we doing this again? And Atlanta was a team on paper. But they lose probably the second best safety duo in the NFL. Those guys are out. Linebackers out for half the year. They lost a guard. Two D tackles left the game this past weekend. Julio apparently was banged up during practice. I always feel like Julio's dinged a little bit. And the other thing is that like I've even seen it in Steelers games where Juju's getting all these catches. Well, guess what? Juju's getting all those catches because they're selling out to stop Antonio Brown, and you have to almost see how the game plan breaks down and some leaks there later on for Antonio to still stay engaged and get his chances, and that's what's happened with Brown. Like Julio gets absolutely shut out and you know there's a mispass there's a tip ball ryan admitted he missed him on a deep one but what was the tight end ended up with nine or ten catches for like a career high well there's a reason he ended up with a million catches because the steelers defense was selling out but like atlanta's a great example of oh man what happened to those guys well they're missing half their defense and teams have injuries but they're completely snake bitten right out of the shoe and being competitive now they're what one and four and they get absolutely smoked by pittsburgh but here's the question all right as we talk about all of these guys would you rather have deandre hopkins or odo beckham jr and you have to factor it all in after he did the sit down with josina where you know this is that delicate balance of we want our guys to be honest but then it's oh man you're a little too honest you're basically calling everybody else out well, so there is a report, too, that the Giants didn't know about this interview, which is also not ideal. Um, no. Now, I can take contract into this? No, I, you have to You have to pay them both. No, like we can't do okay. it like rookie deal, vet deal. I'm just saying you can have Hopkins or you can have Odell. I think the real easy answer is to just say Hopkins based on what we saw this weekend. I just think Odell is special. Like he's just like I, agree. I, I want that guy on my team, and I, I I'll figure it out. And I honestly, here's the thing too: is like how many things did he say that were really wrong? Other than like guys getting twenty targets, like that's obviously ridiculous. Like there are not that many people that get twenty targets a game. Um, no, but Wickersham had a really interesting tweet. He says contract extensions usually encourage behavior as opposed to correct it. So everybody played nice for a couple months. He got all the money, and. I don't know. I just feel like it's drama with him every single week. And the thing is, he's probably still the right answer. 
Yeah, I'm. I would. I would roll the dice to be honest with you. And I like. I like Nuke. And the crazy thing about about I think about Hopkins all the time is you can call him Nuke Hopkins. You yeah, I mean, it. I like the nickname. But the crazy thing is, like, remember how everyone loved Sammy Watkins at Clemson? And to to look at where they both are now, like, like Nuke is so much better than him now, and and Watkins was so much better in college. Like, I'm just amazed by that. How it didn't work out. Yeah, Sammy not being good is is incredible, and the fact that Kansas City still paid him, and like Sammy's missed chunks. I know he missed what two weeks ago. He was out of the game, and they still won. And I don't know. I mean, Jacksonville, you got you got like the Nevin Shapiro. Like Bortles has been against New England. He was Nevin Shapiro on a Saturday in South Beach, and then the last couple weeks, especially against Kansas City. You got the Bortles, Nevin Shapiro, Tuesday, cubicle. How the hell am I going to pay for all this stuff? You know? Yeah, I mean, throwing <laughs> balls off dudes' helmets. and like I, I don't know what that was about. So it's it's been ugly. Okay, um, two thought pieces. I got to find that Sam Hinkie tweet. I'm going to double check that because it was such a, such a nerdy reference. <laughs> it was really bad. He was, He was like, here are some things I'm thinking of. Like recently? <laughs> yeah, he like tweeted out this thing. He's like, here are things I've been... Uh, here's a list of side projects. This is a month ago. I often think about samhinky.com. Interested in collaborating on one of these topics. So, um, hi, you're in the right spot. So it's basically a link to these side projects, and it's just basically almost like a Word document. And um, he used this phrase that was so weird. Oh, okay. He goes, projects, best books, surfacing the very best book for you would be a delight machine. <laughs> yeah, I'm just reading this now. Instant a, del- a delight machine? What? A couple of um, <laughs> a couple of my friends can't stand them. Can't stand them. They're like, are you serious with this crap? You know, and these guys are, like are basketball smart. basketball people or just friends? No, 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 no. Like... Because you know, I'm, I I love it. I'm, I'm, yeah, I love them. But I'm these these are like banker types that just go. Uh, I think this guy's what is he, delight machine. They sent me. They both sent me the link independent of each other. They're like your boys at it again. I'm like, look, I like Hinky. I'm not a disciple. Um, all right, here's the deal. Here's a delight machine for you. Would Aaron Rodgers be Philip Rivers if he didn't have the one Super Bowl? Yanks in five. We'll talk to you next week.